In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. I think social commentary and sci-fi are linked quite often. My favorite example, of course, RoboCop. What is what yeah. is RoboCop social commentary that crime doesn't pay? Crime doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> so much great sci-fi is about more than cool ideas about space technology in the future. The genre is this great venue to use seemingly out there ideas to reflect on current society. Yes, Morpheus's sunglasses in the Matrix are super futuristic. I mean, how do they stay on his face? But the film is a powerful commentary on the illusion of life, the rise of technology, and something about a red pill that certain people have taken too far. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Or my favorite book, Dune. There are spaceships and alien sandworms, but it's largely about limited natural resources and the corrupt powers that try to control them. I will have a raptor's bat for myself! He who controls the space controls the universe! It's essentially about oil. Or the 2009 film District 9, about an alien race being relegated to a ghetto outside of Johannesburg. And it's a pretty direct critique on apartheid in South Africa. What was a temporary holding zone soon became fenced, became militarized. And before we knew it, it was a slum. These are all excellent pieces of sci-fi with clever ideas, but their power comes from what they are trying to say. But what is our show trying to say? Is Animal Farm sci-fi? No, but it's <laughs> social commentary. Pure social commentary. Yeah, it's it's like one hundred percent. It's like commentary. what if animals could talk and wear clothes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, would they be capitalists or communists? <laughs> <laughs> it's let's make a sci-fi. The show where three comedians try their absolute best to write a legit science fiction pilot. Before we could make our grand statement on society, we still needed to figure out what basic story points and details should be in our pilot script. Here's the deal. In the next couple of days, we want to finally start typing a script. With dialogue and stage directions, a first draft. But to do that, we need an outline. What's an outline? It's a scene-by-scene breakdown of the entire story. All the details, the science, the characters, the world. It's like a bird's eye view of our pilot. Or a pilot's eye view of our pilot. Because pilots also fly like birds. So what do we have so far? If you recall, our show is about two ships that we're loosely calling Ship A and Ship B. Ship A's mission is, well, just listen to how I pitched it to Mark and Maddie. 
The starship known as the Sacramento, totally just a placeholder, has been in transit through deep space since leaving Earth 750 years ago. Generations of humans have lived and died within its hull, all connected by the same mission, to colonize a distant solar system and save the flame of humanity. Over the centuries, a strict and regimented society has evolved on board, a self-sustaining world where personal energy usage and conservation are cultural touchstones and a way of life. A somber place where your lifespan is equal to your usefulness and gravity is power. No idea what that means. I just liked. <laughs> yeah, <what laughs> I just kind of liked. I just sort of thought that was intriguing. Yeah, gravity is still something we're toying around with. Like, maybe gravity is a coveted thing, and if you control it, you have power? Not sure how to get that into the pilot. Then there's Ship B. Ship B is also from Earth, but it's a newer, faster ship from the future and is caught up to stop Ship A. Ship A's space cult and Ship B is the FBI. And someone on Ship A, our protagonist Kirby, discovers the existence of this new, mysterious ship. I'm going to look at our character list. We've also been developing characters. On Ship A, there's Kirby, our plucky, low-ranking hero. And Lee, the high-ranking Machiavellian antagonist. There's also supporting characters. Okay, so we've got Lee's sniveling husband, Pug. Their princeling son, Bo, the horny 3D tech Houston, the ship doctor, Dr. Eric, and Kirby's ally, who's like a high-ranking bureaucrat with a heart of gold. Washington. Washington. All these characters have something that they secretly want. Dr. Eric, for example, wants to clone his dead son. It's a wild idea, and who knows if it'll make it into the final show, but we like it. And as we dug into in the last episode, there's also a lot of science stuff we need to explain because Ship A is a self-sustaining generational ship. So things like how the ships meet in space and the physical challenges of living your entire life aboard a spaceship. You, you have a ship and the way you propel it is you throw atomic bombs in the back. It's a lot of stuff to cover, but how do we put this into a pilot in a way that's watchable? We sought out advice from someone who's wrestled with this problem before. Jose Molina, whose love of sci-fi started at a very young age. When I saw Star Wars in the theater, um, and I, I, you know, I grew up, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, so English is my second language. So watching Star Wars at age six, I couldn't tell what the fuck was going on. Can I, <laughs> can I swear, by the way? Or? Oh, yeah, 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 please. Yeah. Jose is a screenwriter. He's written for a ton of sci-fi shows like Marvel's Agent Carter, Terra Nova, Firefly. We explained our show to Jose and all the things we wanted to get into the pilot. The characters, the generational ships, the gravity maybe. It's a lot. It took me a few minutes to explain it all to you, remember? So how are we going to get all of that backstory into the pilot without it feeling like somebody explaining the world? What I tend to try to do when I'm developing shows that that have that kind of big world is to start small and iris out, start with a character or start with a moment uh, and then sort of pull my camera back out and show you little by little thing by thing, person by person, detail by detail, as much as is necessary without necessarily going into a big expositional explanation, but allowing you to sort of catch up rather than throw you into the, into the deep end. Could you give us an example of how to get out exposition gracefully? I mean, I think the the important thing, the, the thing that gets really annoying with those exposition things is when the characters are saying things that they all know and they're just right. saying it so that the audience has to has the information that they need you to have. So the the first 
rule, I would say, is make sure that that download is happening as part of the story. That if you're explaining all these rules, somebody in the story is explaining it to somebody else in the way of, you know, Marty McFly and Doc, where Doc has to explain to Marty, this is the flux capacitor. It's what makes time travel possible. You need 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. And when you hit 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Uh, does it run like on, on regular unleaded gasoline? Unfortunately, no. It requires something with a little more kick. Plutonium. Uh, plutonium. Wait a minute. Are you, are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? No, 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 no. This sucker is electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity I need. If you're going to have that big dump of uh, exposition, have it take place within the story have there be a need for that information to come out from one character to the next now normally when we have experts on this show we take their advice immediately but after our call with jose maddie proposed that we do the opposite so we're all worried about exposition bad exposition that's a very big problem in sci-fi so let's just get (laughs) get out the bad ideas first right then we'll move on from there so We got out our bad ideas. So what do we need the audience to know about in order to understand what's going on in the show? They're on a generational starship. Yes. So Kirby can say that when she wakes up. Oh, I was born on this ship and I'll die on this ship. Once again, another day on a generational starship. And that they they don't think there's any other humans left. Too bad I'm the only human left, she'll say. Uh, Or they can be like, um, some kind of like greeting, like, Good morning, last human. Like, good morning, yes. last yeah. human. Good morning, last human. Good morning, last human. If the challenge of this show was to write the worst script possible, we'd already be done by now. What about sort of a Sex in the City? Like, I couldn't help but wonder. Journaling. Turns, Journaling. Turns out, I was trying to find a spaceship, but instead, the ship spaced me. Kirby has <laughs> Kirby has a column in the local paper, like yeah. a little like editorial column. Kirby's Corner. Yeah, <laughs> Kirby's Corner. Works Great. with Kirby. Yeah, yeah. Just Getting quick. curbed. With Kirby. <laughs> I don't know. And the bad ideas kept coming. Oh, well, we should do a Dune thing where we just hear their thoughts. So we hold on them, like we put the camera right on their face, and then we just have a voiceover. It's like, there's the leader of the ship named Lee. Ooh, I don't like her. <laughs> yes, Lee always doing things I don't like. And then mm. Lee could be like, I'm Lee. <laughs> <laughs> But eventually, we did take Jose's advice. He suggested we center our story around one person and Iris out. We agreed that it would make the most logical sense to center things around our hero, Kirby. We also thought that having some sort of event happen on Ship A would be a natural way to introduce people to a lot of the elements of the show. Some busy, active thing. Like Ryan's old idea that we had where we're establishing that they're all getting ready for something, some sort of ceremony or something. I like the ceremony a lot. It's a the culture that's on the ship yeah. on display. Yeah. The event we landed on was inspired by our science episode. And it's an event we're calling the candle ceremony, which means that they're going to light off an atomic bomb to yeah. slow down or change their course. That's what they're physically doing. Yeah. And they're not detonating just, yeah. bombs. That's what the candle ceremony means to, so they can move again. Mm-hmm. So we have to show that. Or change direction. Or change direction. They don't necessarily know that. They just think of it as this cool cult ceremony. Exactly. Right. We also know we want Kirby to discover Ship B at some point in this episode. But how? 
we decided maybe she could be building something, you know, secretly tinkering away on some machine that somehow comes into radio contact with Ship B. I, I don't know if she's like, hello, Ship B, and they're like, Ship B, is this Kirby? Let's talk. Like, maybe, <laughs> no. maybe, maybe she gets like a, like sees that there's communication with something happening. So just yeah. like a, and then immediately she's like, I want to know more about that. Also, Ship B is so excited. Ship B, we got to see yeah. it on the other side. Ship B is going to be scrambling. What do we do? What do we do? They finally made contact. Yeah. And like they've been there for days or whatever. Like they've been like, yeah. And it's a problem that they can't get in contact with the person. Like, what are we, are yeah. they all dead? Maybe and like that changes yeah. everything. And like, Captain, I think they're all dead or something. And it's like, you dragged me all the way out here for a ship full of corpses. I'm going to bust your ass down to scramble, 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 scramble. But when should this happen? Isn't there like a structure that TV writers follow to know when certain things need to happen in an episode? To find out, we talked to veteran TV writer. Yeah, I'm kidding. This time we just Googled it. Thing I've Googled, which is most narrative long-form TV shows will follow a five-act structure, but this is the basics that they give you. You do a teaser, which is a fun little hook. Act one is when you introduce the main characters. Act two is when you introduce the central storyline and conflict of the episode. Act three is a low point when your characters don't think the conflict can be resolved. Act four is when your characters take action in the face of conflict. That'll be when Kirby's like actively trying to get evidence or something like communicate with ship B to try and figure out a way to blow the whistle. Act five will be the resolution of the episode's conflict and for a pilot establishes a long-term storyline, which will be, and then tag is a hint of conflict to come in the next episode. So we planned out our acts. In the teaser, we want to introduce ship A. We want to see aspects of the ship, like things that are going on, like uh, what Kirby's job is, maybe. We kind of learn a little bit about that. In Act 1, we want to introduce Kirby, obviously, but also everyone else. We want to see Lee being horrible. Yes. We want to see Washington being noble. Yeah. Yes. We want to see Bo and Pug relating to Lee and however they, re- they relate to Lee, so we get some dynamics, some power dynamics. The love affair between Eric and uh, Washington. A little teaser of Eric trying to clone his dead son. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In Act 2. I think for Act 2, we need an actual, like, Kirby's trying to do this, and here's the obstacles in the way, you know? Kirby's trying to finish this machine, th- machine this without anyone noticing during this highly active time, which That's is fun. the ceremony and the lead-up. And maybe Kirby needs help from the horny 3D tech. And then Kirby's like, but I need a specific thing for this yeah. next thing. And like, That's hard to do in the 3D printer, but we'll see what we can do. We kind of get their relationship and then... You want a what and a what? Yeah. Oh, this <laughs> guy's always busting my balls. Ooh, and I'm horny. Ooh. <laughs> and God, am I feeling horny today. And then, Maddie, Mark and Ryan wrote the most hated character. <laughs> of all time. Ooh, I'm horny. Then in Act 3 or 4, Kirby makes contact with Ship B and realizes Lee and the powers on Ship A have been lying to everyone. There is life outside their ship. Kirby wants to confront Lee about it, but how? And when? And that takes us to our final scene. I think that will be like a crazy twist. Like, that's almost like you think the episode's over and then there's a thing. Either the end of the the pilot episode is Kirby's first contact with another ship, going like, wait, what the fuck? Or Kirby makes contact halfway through and then Kirby blows the whistle at the end of the first episode. I kind of like whistleblow a little bit because it leaves it leaves everything like a mess a little bit. It gives like, us a lot you know more I mean? shit like, to do. 
We want to set up that it's going to go one way. This is how a twist works. <laughs> Do something else. But yeah, I think that's But then that's the a twist could be like think about Lee it. knew or Lee is part the reason Lee, Kirby got contact or you know what I mean? Like just some yeah, kind like of like an antagonist twist. Yeah, some bombshell yeah. where he's like, Of course I know the ship's there. I told them we were here. Yeah. Like something yeah. you wouldn't expect. Yeah. There. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. We were feeling good about all the decisions we'd made on our pilot, but there was still this looming idea about what it was all supposed to mean. What are we saying with this show? What's our social commentary? I think when I was younger, the thing that I loved about science fiction was was its ability to transport the audience member to a place that it didn't necessarily exist in the world that we live in. And, and that from that, you get, you get a, this, this magical sort of carpet ride to a different place where things can, can reflect society back at you. To figure this out, we reached out to a master of fitting social commentary into science fiction, Neil Blomkamp. We already talked to him for our world-building episode, but what are we going to do, not talk to him again? He's written, produced, and directed a handful of big-ticket sci-fi films with a message. Like the found-footage alien caper District 9 and the dystopian adventure Elysium. And I think only when I, when I got older did I start understanding how interesting it, it, it is as a, as a way to um, use it as a mirror to hold up to society and, and, you know, a lens that you can look at topics through uh, in a way that just changes your perception of them. You, you may look at a topic 180 degrees from the way that you think you look at it. And I think that's the magic trick with sci-fi is that you can present a real-world scenario to people that's covered in a different veneer. It's painted differently, so they don't really know what they're looking at. And they're like, oh, well, obviously I side with X. But it's like, oh, well, that's interesting because in real life you don't. Do you have any, any advice to give of striking that balance between story and uh, uh, maybe something you want to say about it and uh, the world, like we talked about, just a little bit more into hmm. in-depth discussion about that? Because that's sort of what we're running into a lot right now is like uh, finding that balance. I mean, that's, that's the hardest thing, right? That's like that's the most difficult part of the whole process. It's like there, there is nothing more difficult really in, in there than that. Because yeah. if you get it completely right, then the audience will feel like they were shown they were shown something that that they didn't realize they were being led towards and they had a good time getting there the the complete opposite of that would be they f- they feel like they're being beaten over the head and by the time they get there it feels o- like you're lecturing them yeah and it's like there's no room for fun or uh the you know the other elements of cinema so I, I don't actually know how to break that down. And by the way, I'm not also, uh, you know, I, I may not have gotten that right myself. Like it's, it's just, it's super difficult to do. Mm-hmm. I guess you have to go about doing it in a way where whatever, you have to be razor sharp about what you're saying, like super clear in your head. What exactly are you saying? If the audience comes out of the film and, they've, and, and, and you, you, you imagine your best case scenario, what would it be? Right. And then work backwards from that. Um, so, and do it in a way that just doesn't feel like you're lecturing. Them. 
razor sharp. How about dull and rusted? No, no, we have opinions. We have things we want to say. But before we actually discussed what that might be, we tried to figure out what some of our favorite films are trying to say. Her is probably oh, my favorite, like, sci-fi-ish or speculative mm-hmm. fiction sci-fi. social commentary thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's just a warning about, like, don't get AI because you're going to fall in love with it, kid. It's going to break your heart. <laughs> I don't think that was the... <laughs> That's what I took away from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I just found it a very beautiful story about, like, connection. Mm-hmm. You know? Avatar. What is the... What is the... Oh, deforestation? Colonization. Colonization, right. Kind of like... I didn't see it. Oh, well, I was hoping you'd answer. I don't think, I think it's deforestation, but our listeners can write in. But there's an indigenous (laughs) alien species, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, yes, there is. Yes. Yes. The avatars. Yeah. They're the avatars. Well, the avatars, no, they're not. (laughs) Well, so what's the word avatar? The the humans are... I think the theme of avatar would be if you could walk around in someone else's flesh, you would see things from their perspective. The The social commentary is whenever humans find something with a resource, they'll destroy everything in its wake to get to it. Great. Mm -hmm. Terminator is just about um, the dangers of runaway technology and how AI can one day become self-aware and destroy humans. Is there social That's, it's commentary? A, it's the singularity. Is there social commentary in Terminator? Number one, women can do so many freaking chin-ups if we let them. Yeah. <laughs> That's Terminator 2, Maddie. <laughs> okay. She was not doing chin-ups in Terminator 1. She looks awesome. The thing about chin-ups. sci-fi, though, is it's kind As of we continued to talk about social commentary, Maddie got to the core of maybe why we were struggling with the commentary aspect of this whole thing. I right. feel like there's, like, an allegory type social commentary thing which is like we are literally just replacing one thing with a different thing to illustrate what happened Mm -hmm. and then there's like oh there's themes and lessons throughout that come through like the characters and their struggles and like obviously we're not writing the former because we didn't write that we didn't we didn't come up with an idea that was like i'm gonna do the armenian genocide but with talking right raccoons yeah we didn't approach our project with like an with a social commentary idea yeah that we then like hopefully there'll be a bonus but we have there is Mm -hmm. thoughts within our world that is designed and controlled and very bureaucracy heavy Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we always knew we're gonna hopefully illustrate something about how we can't work together i think Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. then but we're not doing the district nine approach no and this theme approach came up when we were talking with jose molina I actually tend to think a lot about theme at the beginning, try to figure out what it is that that I'm trying to, to say with the show, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm making a political statement or anything like that. Just, you know, what what is this about? What is the sort of capital A about? Um, and you're not you're not necessarily telling stories that have that message in the plot or in the story. You just ha- know that these characters have these attitudes in their minds and in their hearts. On ship A, there are these two forces represented by two characters. Kirby, who discovers this new ship and wants to share the information, and Lee, who wants to keep things as they've always been. There is a theme in there. Maybe it's like, yeah, like, is more information good? Yeah. Is more information better? I don't know anymore with the internet. I'll like tell you that. that. That's a really good one. I'm going to go with that. Man. Yeah. I'm like, like, what that. is what is truth? And like, what? Because we flirted a lot with that. Remember where the other ship wasn't even, didn't have people on it? It was just a library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was so boring. Yeah. But like. Uh, but also, but also, what does ship B know? What is like, you know what I mean? Like, there's like, yeah, it's like. 
like hope like what did like what gives you hope and like what is hope necessary for survival like, yeah because the, the, they're, they're ultimately these people have to survive like yeah and that space voyage are they gonna be better off surviving that space voyage knowing what they are is it is it more important to know absolute truth than it is to have yeah. like honesty isn't always the best policy yeah Lee doesn't just want to like mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. for control's sake she's like we're trying to survive like you you want to have like this cultural revolution mm-hmm. no or Kirby's more like what's they the point have a of right survival if we're living a lie yeah if you're not living truth if you're not yes. living yeah. in truth and Lee is like, we need we, we need to do this thing that we've set out to do. Because otherwise we'll die. Yeah. yeah. And, but also, she's also like, this. and also I want to re- retain power. But I like power. And yeah. also, there's definitely a like new, like, fuck this. Let's, let's take the resources we have and get to a planet with people on it, Kirby. Versus like, our ancestors put us on a journey. Yes. Yeah. We are doing yes. that journey for them. Yes. Old yes. school, new school. Yes. Purpose versus... Porpoise. Porpoise. I was going to say. Aquins. Yeah. yeah. Aquins. Aquins. (laughs) Purpose versus purpose. So yeah, we zeroed in on a theme. We feel confident in our choice to explore the theme of information is power. And also ignorance is bliss. And maybe there's also something about survival versus free will in there. Okay. Okay. So we haven't exactly nailed down our theme, but we're definitely on the right track. All I know for sure is that gravity is no longer power. We're ditching that. What's next? It's time to write. You've been a fly on the wall through the brainstorming and creation process, but now we actually need to write a script. Words on the page. We've given each other homework, we've written scenes, and they're going to be read aloud by Dwight Schrute from The Office. Is it supposed to be funny that he keeps calling her number two? Yeah, so that stood out a lot to (laughs) me, hearing it out loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Classically trained actor, Rain Wilson. Next time on Let's Make a Sci-Fi. Let's Make a Sci-Fi is hosted by Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal. This episode is written and produced by Dave Shumka, Max Collins, and Chris Kelly. The coordinating producer is Lauren Berkovich. Jeff Turner is our senior producer, and Arif Nurani is the director of CBC Podcasts. Our theme song is by Chris Kelly. Special thanks to Jose Molina and Neil Blomkamp. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.